Hey, how's the anti-mail campaign going? It's fantastic. We were out in front of the post office today, and not one person went in. It's Sunday. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. And a lot of the listeners of this podcast have questions, and you have proven yourself to at least on occasion have answers. So I decided on this week's episode, we should play a round of mailbag. And I think it's appropriate that we play some really cool music. Yeah, play this funky jams. All right, Ian, question number one. After selling a business, how do you choose between taking a break and doubling down? Is that answer different for the two of you? Well, I'll take a stab at this first here, Dan. That wasn't the first question that came to mind. I'll tell you what first came to mind for me. I was working for seven years in the business. I was trying to get the deal done for 18 months. And then one day the phone doesn't ring and you have an identity crisis. (laughs) This question of taking a break and doubling down didn't necessarily come up for me yet. I think as an entrepreneur at heart, I'm always kind of looking for the next thing. But one of the things that I decided maybe, I don't know, three or four weeks ago was to not rush the process. I think we both got a million ideas, Dan, and we've been discussing them for the last couple of weeks. But the more business that we've done, I think the more we understand what we do and don't want to do in the future. And so the list of acceptable businesses is getting quite narrow and small. Maybe there's a fault to our processor, but I just feel like we worked pretty hard. And I've heard this from a lot of other people. It's like, it's just as easy to make a million bucks as it is to make 10 in a lot of ways. And so if you're going to spend as much effort as we did the last seven years, it better be for a little bit more money. (laughs) So I'm concentrating my efforts now on A, having fun and B, trying to figure out whatever it is that happens next, making sure that my efforts can be multiplied a little bit more than it was the first time. I think we both have really high standards. I think you're a little bit more money focused than I am, generally speaking. (laughs) Cha-ching. But, you know, I look back to how we were living, say, two years ago. And, like, you know, I know we both went on, like, really long summer vacations to Europe with our families. And we go on long bike rides in the middle of the day. And that stuff still happened after we sold the business. So that's the whole point of a lifestyle business is that it doesn't need to change, right? It's not this, like, you stress yourself out to the max trying to hit a home run. The idea is that you just keep getting on base the whole time. And the high standards that you have are, hey, like I'm not going to run a business that becomes a boring job. I'm not going to take on a business that has high pressure clients or whatever it is that fits your lifestyle requirements that doesn't allow me to ride my bike at the best time to ride a bike during the day. Whatever it is that you want to do, I think that those are the high standards. If you bake that into your business in the first place, I think for me, I guess what I'm getting at is that it didn't change much for me. It was just nice and exciting, and I'm excited to do the next thing. But I don't honestly feel a ton of pressure or that it's really changed all that much. I think that's actually what you said when we sold the business. Hmm, that's nice. (laughs) That's what you said. 
The one thing that has changed pretty profoundly for me that I recognized that I wanted to change before we sold the business was getting back my mental RAM. Some days small, some other days significant portion of mental RAM that that business took up. It's an interesting quiet place in my mind right now that I'm hoping to recapture with creativity. Yeah, you've been just abuzz with creativity lately, so that's been cool. We got a phone call from Japan. Hey guys, this is Andres from Boutique Japan. Looking forward to seeing you guys in Bangkok this October. Just wanted to ask you a question. Just heard podcast number 300 and congratulations, by the way. Definitely love the message about, you know, drawing people in through business rather than foosball tables. Dan mentioned at one point, I think that, you know, when you advertised your positions before, you kind of lured people in, you know, with the promise of the lifestyle and everything. How would you do it differently or how have you done it differently since then if you are advertising a position that is location independent, does have all those perks, but you want to focus on the other stuff more? Would love to hear your thoughts. Take care. Keep up the good work. So what specifically are you selling to A players, Ian? Maybe some particular examples. One of the things that we talked about the other day is that for a lot of A players, the lifestyle stuff is sorted. On a relative scale of difficulty, achieving location independence is much more difficult than being a linchpin team member. So it would be weird for them to have not achieved one and the other. Does that make sense? Yeah. So in some ways, like by even putting forward flexibility and location independence as like the key benefits of the job, it advertises itself as a B position in the first place. Yeah. That might be obvious to the Googlers in the room or whatever, but it wasn't to me. I'll give you a story, Dan. The other day I was I snuck off to get some pizza because I've been on this like pretty low carb thing. And so <laughs> I don't know if I told you this story, but like a couple of years ago, like when we were living together, we were on some crazy paleo diet and I like snuck off in the middle of the day and got a hamburger and like ate it behind the McDonald's. I hadn't had a McDonald's hamburger for like five years. Anyways, like I'm back to that right now. So like I snuck off and got a pizza. While I was there, it was like a Friday afternoon. And there was like a team of six people and they all had their laptops open and they were like clearly working for the same company. They weren't co-working. And I just thought to myself like, that sucks. And none of those people are probably A players because none of them look like they're having any fun. I, I mean, I'm making up a story here, but I've seen this plenty of times, right? It's like the barbecue thing that we talked about in the other episode. It's like, it's a bunch of potentially smart people sitting around this table. It's like, raise your hand if you'd rather be working from home, drinking a beer or just drinking a beer <laughs> at home on a Friday afternoon. And like, that's what my vote is for. I think as managers and business owners, we try and put our employees or team members in these like fun spaces on Friday, but that's not really that fun, especially for A players. Like what A players want to do is like succeed for themselves and for the businesses and like pizza and a beer on a Friday. Like I'd rather just be at home. Something that listeners mentioned last week is how important fit is. And I think that that's critical. And it points to the obvious, which is that I think in many cases, you need to be an A player if you're going to be attracting A talent. If you're using gimmicks in your business to get people involved rather than the real passion for the work, I think that that's actually sort of a litmus test for the opposite happening, which is that you're sort of expressing your Venus potentially by hanging all these incentives in front of people that have nothing to do with the level of work that you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis and the amount of acceleration their career is going to see by getting involved with that work. So the other day, Dan, we did the episode on hiring A players. I think, again, it's very difficult to 
decide or determine if they're A or B players when they come to the door. But if they have ambitions of becoming A players for themselves and for your business, then here's what I do. Everybody has their own hook. This is mine. Steal it from me or develop your own, but you better have one. I teach people about business. If you work with me, you will learn everything there is to know about the business that you're working in if you're interested in that. And so that's my hook. It's real simple. It's like, hey, you work with Ian, you do a good job for yourself, for the business. I will teach you everything I know about business. We got a voicemail from Alex in Chicago. Hey, you guys. This is Alex calling in from Chicago. Man, I'm so happy I found you guys. I found my people. You know, recently I told my career to kind of shove off and I'm starting my own thing. I'm really happy to be living off of beans and rice and listening to you guys. You know, I never felt like I was alone, but I never knew that there was a network of like-minded people like Tropical MBA in the D.C. So love you guys. Keep it up. Hopefully you'll see me soon. So Ian, do you have sort of a revelation story, like a moment that you realized the system was whack, you know, like a pivotal moment that changed everything for you? I don't know. I probably figured out pretty early on that the system was whack. You can think it's whack, but then you can also have whack ideas and not, you know, you have to develop good ideas about what the alternative to the whackness is, if you know what I mean. You can't just be a critic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can't just be a critic. So actually, yesterday, this is a real story. All the other stories were real too, by the way, but this one's just as real. Hanging out at the metal shop. You ever hung out at the metal shop, Dan? No. It is a place where you pick up metal. <laughs> yeah, I was hanging out in one in Austin, just picking up some metal and working on a project. Started to talk to these guys that were also picking up metal at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday morning. And you got to think, you know, what are these people next to me doing? They don't seem to be in very much of a hurry. I'm not in very much of a hurry. And so I started asking them questions like, so what are you working on? Oh, we're just working on this little part for this car. So you own a shop? No, I don't own a shop. Ah, so lifestyle designers. Interesting. <laughs> it's a pack of lifestyle designers. Well, who else is hanging around the metal shop in Austin at 10 a.m.? There's two people, probably. People that are there to pick up metal for a job that they're working on or people that are having fun like me and these fellows that were chatting. You're finding your people in non-obvious places because if it's too obvious, then a bunch of posers are going to be there. You know what I mean? Like I used to have this thing where when I found out about entrepreneurship, I was like on Craigslist and meet up and I would go to like every, you know, career fair, entrepreneurship, like anything that like whiffed of business, I would be there with bells on shaking hands. And it wasn't until I went to the one that was like at 11 a.m. on a Wednesday that I met like Jeremy Franson from Internet Business Mastery and Pat Flynn and Kevin Kosakella and all these guys that actually were making money online right? because they weren't at a job. Right. So it's like, it's like that structural thing where it's like you can't do projects at a metal shop on a Tuesday if you have a real job. I think when you say finding your people, it's like when you say your people, it's like people that you can relate to on a lot of different levels. So like I'm not really going to have that much in common and I'm not really going to have that much fun at like a general business meetup because it's surface level. Right. But like when you meet the guy at the metal shop. And he's there at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday. It's like, we probably have a lot in common. First of all, the metal, we have that in common. Second of all, we don't have jobs. So those are two very deep ties that we're probably gonna have a lot to talk about. Ian, I got a softball for you. What's one software tool that you couldn't live without? Oh, good question. This is like the good old days when you used to share software tips that you wouldn't be using in six months. I thought that that was a funny bit that we used to have. Maybe this is mine. Maybe in six months, I won't be using this. But I did something several weeks ago that I told you about and that 
I think you probably tried and then you reverted back to, which I'm very disappointed about. I switched to Safari. And the reason that I switched to Safari is because it has increased my MacBook Retina Pro, whatever the heck I have now, increased the battery by 30 to 40%. Wow. Yeah, it's true. I posted it in the DC and a bunch of people started doing it. And you're right. There's something going wacky with Chrome. And all of our hope is that they fix it because using Safari is a real terrible experience. <laughs> but but you're right about the battery thing. So if you can't get yourself to an outlet in the next two hours, definitely consider switching over to Safari. For me, I am really love using Viber. We we're talking about it. For those of you that don't live in Asia, you might not be familiar that WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger you know, has popular competitors. And it's sort of like a land race. You know, These companies are racing to get critical mass in countries all around the world. And I became familiar with Viber in Vietnam. And it just has a better feature set than WhatsApp. And I use it with my family and friends and they have a desktop client. And so I can type more extended messages to people that way. And you know, I find those messaging apps incredible for people that travel a lot. Because every time you go to a new country, you change your SIM card, but all of your contacts stay the same on your phone. That was brilliant. Yeah, I think that the a reason that American people haven't caught on to this is because they're in contracts, you know? They don't change their phone number, but every 10 years. So it's like not a big deal. It's like, oh yeah, Joe, you said the same number for 10 years. Right. But if you're constantly traveling around, then you have to get on one of these platforms. And I think Viber is interesting because a lot of people are already on it. So like you said, it's going to take a critical mass because, you know, like if you ask somebody to sign up, they're like, yeah, I don't know anybody else on there. But Viber is that network that a lot of people are on. All right. What's one move in your business that had unexpected positive outcome that was relatively easy to implement? Mm, Good question. Okay. So not necessarily easy to implement because I don't think any of this stuff is that easy, especially stuff that's worth it. So let me just talk about what's worth it and the most positive outcome that I've had. Okay. So the question is, what are you doing that you can put on to other people in your business? And this is what we did the last 24 months in our business, Dan, is I figured out a way to get myself so I was only working five to six hours a week and it was only going to management meetings. And I really, really wish that I had done this like two to three years into my business because I look at the value that I provided by working 20 to 30 hours a week the last three to four years of our business, Dan, and it was extremely marginal in my mind. So I think if I could have got myself out of that position earlier, which I'm confident that I could have for not a lot of money. I could have gone on to build the business bigger. I could have gone on to build other businesses. You know, and I think part of it is that decision that you made to not do stuff and to be really a CEO was in large part fueled by our decision to sell the business. Part of the reason people struggle with this is that they have a hard time figuring out something better to do. And a lot of that's just about being ambitious or being willing to take a risk. Or wanting to hang out at the metal shop at 10 a.m. Fair enough. Yeah, it could just be having a strong lifestyle desire, a hobby. But for a lot of people, it's, hey, like all things being equal, this is just something to do. I made myself a job, you know? Part of being an entrepreneur is really having a strong view on like what's next. That's, you know, not just continuing to, I agree, provide marginal value in a lot of ways. Yeah, so not by any stretch of the imagination easy or stress-free, but the most positive outcome that that I think I had in the last 24 months was extracting myself out of the business. And like you said, yeah, Dan, it was a shame that we decided to do that when we were selling the business. Because again, I think that the value I provided was pretty marginal. One last question. You've talked in the past about marriage model business partnerships. How does selling your main business affect that relationship? One of the main things that came up from selling the business is just some of the liabilities. So this is 
kind of boring stuff, but it's actually happening in terms of like restructuring partnership agreements. For example, we had a business that was operating in California. We're shutting down that corporation. There's a little bit of money that's owed to us. So how do we restructure our partnership? So if you become insane or die or something crazy like that, I'm not left with the burden of your corpse. By the way, I'm going to be looking in detail at your definition of insanity <laughs> on whatever document you send over my way. <laughs> I mean, so essentially what you're saying is that as the stakes get higher. I mean, but the stakes are always high. I think it does make sense to have some kind of partnership agreement. One of the things that we're doing is making it more granular. So like for this asset class in this corporation, if death or dismemberment, then this. Whereas in the past, it was kind of like a blanket thing for all assets. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think that this is actually good practice too in the beginning is to have a rough partnership outline and then, you know, every couple of years kind of refine it as necessary. And I think it's probably easier on the partnership too. And this is something that we should consider, Dan, is like saying like every two years or every year, January 1st, like we sit down and we look at this document because then it's not up to one person, you know, like that's what the partnership does. You know, and what a lot of people say is like, well, it's really important to have this documentation like in case S happens, you know, I think it's actually more important to prevent S from happening. You know what I mean? Like, of course you want to equip both your partner and your beneficiary with like clear instructions of what happens if you're not around anymore. So I think procedurally, yeah, that's really important. Like definitely do that. Sit down. I think nine out of 10 listeners of this podcast will find that experience fun and liberating with their business partner. It's like a strategy game to talk about. It's interesting and it talks about important issues, which I think, you know, that's what we're all about. So the other part of it is just getting on the same page about what you want. And I think that that prevents conflicts and disagreements from coming up in the future because, you know, a lot of these like S hits the fan scenarios arise from misunderstandings. And when pressure gets put on misunderstandings, then all of a sudden you got problems. The other side of preparing for S hitting the fan is preparing for success. In your businesses, and we talked about this way back when, Dan, is, you know, expect that you're going to have a multi-million dollar business one day with your partner and what that's going to look like and how the roles are going to play out. And it's really important to have those conversations early. The reality is that money and power can cloud your vision and people can have different trajectories. And it just makes sense to, I think, you know, instead of trying to make sure that you have the exact same trajectory and the exact same idea about money and all these different issues is to at least have a forum to be able to talk about it. A lot of times partnerships get created because people are short on cash, right? And so then they'll make a cash compromise, bring someone on as a partner, and they don't really walk through the visualization of like, okay, like what happens if we get a million dollars worth of investment or a million dollars in the bank? Now, what does this equity portion look like? How would that person behave under those circumstances? You know, are, are they visualizing that same kind of outcome for themselves? You know, those are the sorts of, I think, visualizations that are important for and just conversations, really, for keeping a partnership healthy. Yeah, but you said you'd quit your job if we got the funding. Well, now I got the funding. Why do I need to quit the job? <laughs> it's like these issues come up. Final question. What would you do if you had to start all over in 2015? Oh, I hate this question so much. You go first. You do have to start over in 2015. So we don't know. We're, we're in the same boat as the listeners. I'll tell you this, though. Whatever business we do start next, I'd like to do it here on the show. On the show. You think you'd be down for that? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I hate this question because it causes a lot of anxiety for me. But like I said before, I truly believe this because I've seen it happen around me. It's just as easy to make 10 million as it is 1 million. So, you know, there's a lot of options out there. If, you know, money's not your thing, and I'm not saying that it's the most important, but I'm saying if you're going to be putting 30 hours in a week, 100 hours in a week, I think that there's a way to do it a little bit smarter than we did in the past. I don't know if you'd agree with that, Dan, but look forward to it. So, Ian, we're going to do a little bit of rap and reviews this week. I know you got a great track for us, but I wanted to ask you, have you seen Straight Outta Compton yet? I have not seen Straight Outta Compton. It's not because I don't want to see it. It's just I haven't seen it. Have you? I have, and it is easily the best movie I've seen this year. It's really fun. You would love it. <laughs> yes, clear some time in that unemployed schedule of yours and get out to the theater. I think you would absolutely love it. Here's the thing about rap, Dan, in, in that kind of movie. It's a cultural thing. I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens when we're 70 or 80, God willing. <laughs> but my guess is I'm still going to have a little thump in the trunk. You know, I don't see why not. So what's your thump in the trunk for this week? All right, this week is playing a little ASAP Rocky with Rod Stewart. So what could be better? New rapper, old rocker. This is Every Day. Every day I spend my time Drinking wine, feeling fine Waiting here to find the sign that I Nate Bill says the value bombs never stop. Just when you think Dan and Ian are going to run out of good stuff, they blow you away. They keep it real and they keep it awesome. Over the years, this podcast has delivered more detailed business info than a Harvard MBA ever could. Take that, Harvard. By the way, I think it went mountain bike riding with Nate Bills the other day. It's the same Nate Bills I'm thinking about. So maybe after the ride, he left them five stars. Appreciate it, Nate. Five stars, my favorite podcast. I discovered the Tropical MBA podcast a few months ago and become an avid listener. Dan and Ian are both extremely knowledgeable in areas of entrepreneurship and location independent businesses. Yes, we are. I look forward to joining the DC and started one of my own online businesses one day. Thank you so much, Apple Die Jr. says addicted. I've been binging on this podcast for weeks and I can't quit. Help. Five stars from Denmark. I recently decided to sail forth as a digital nomad. And the brilliant insights offered by Dan Ian not only gave me specifics, but also a ton of courage. That's what I'm here for. I've binge listened to 60 episodes for the past few weeks while running around, selling, and packing my stuff. I'm now on the road, and this podcast will continue to be my go-to place. That's awesome. You know what, Dan? You know what I was thinking about the other day? I was thinking about how many good back episodes we got. And if you go over to the Tropical NBA blog, I don't know if you guys have been there lately, but you can see there's a page where we have our favorites. Yeah. So I think it's worth going through there because, yeah, there's a lot of good ones. Thank you, John. And congratulations on embarking on your journey. I can remember clearly when I sold my Fender Deluxe Hot Rod amplifier and lots of other heavy stuff and jumped on that one way plane fight. It was a magical day. All right. I'm getting a little sentimental. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's time for the end of the episode. (laughs) You can comment on this episode and let us know your thoughts. We'll be at tropicalmba.com slash, what should we call this one, boss man? Mailbags with a Z. What do you think about that? (laughs) That's definitely not taken. (laughs) Yeah, we'll do it. Mailbags with a Z. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.